So I raised my level up every day. And in turn, it raised everybody else's level up. And so it was just that commitment that I had. And I took that and brought that same work ethic into the NFL. Hey, sports lovers, get ready for a deep dive into the legendary careers and lives of sports' biggest stars with Hall of Famers, the podcast. Hosted by the pros who've guided and documented the amazing careers of these iconic athletes. More than just another interview, this is your all-access, all-season pass into what made these Hall of Fame legends great. From their humble beginnings and career highs to the breathtaking pressures they've faced, we're taking you from obscurity to the world stage of immortality. And the excitement doesn't stop there. Hall of Famers fuels the burning debate of true greatness. Who's the real GOAT? LeBron or MJ? Jim Brown or Barry Sanders? Barry Bonds or Aaron Judge? Wonder what these legends are up to now? Stick around. Our commentary explores all this and more with the most entertaining twists and turns you can't get anywhere else. This is your worldwide sports adventure. Hall of Famers is like no other podcast because it covers the all-time greats from all the major team sports. No matter what your favorite sport is, Hall of Famers has a story that will inspire you. Brace yourself for an unforgettable journey. Get ready for Hall of Famers, the podcast where legends never retire. Greetings and welcome to HOF's The Podcast, where greatness is the standard. I'm C. Lamont Smith, your host today. We have the honor and the privilege today of having a very special guest. He is a six-time Pro Bowler. He was the 1996 NFL Comeback Player of the Year and the 2002 NFL Man of the Year. We'd like to welcome today the one and only Jerome the Bus Betts. Jerome, how are you today, man? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me. Good. What brings you to Pittsburgh today? I'm the MC, celebrity MC for the Mel Blunt Celebrity Roast. Mel Blunt every year roasts a former player of the team, and, and this year he's roasting Troy Palomelo, and so I'm emceeing the affair. So it should be fun. Seeing that's another tool in your toolbox. I'm- yeah, you know, I've expanded through the years being asked to do some things. I mean, it's not one thing, I, it's not something I particularly enjoy, but it was Troy. He's a dear friend, and Mel is a dear friend. He asked me to do it. There's no way I was going to let Mel down or let Troy down. So I'm here. Well, in full transparency to our audience, I have had a 30-year relationship with Jerome. I served as his attorney, his agent, his confidant, his friend over those years. So as we get into this, you may hear a few stories and he may reference Lamont or me and don't want you to be confused out there in the audience about what is going on. Pittsburgh, let's start. We're talking about, we're sitting here with three rivers in the background. What does Pittsburgh mean to you? You know, Pittsburgh for me means where I found a home. Coming to Pittsburgh, I got traded here on draft day. Didn't know really what to expect. Had a very lackluster experience with the Rams coming before coming here. So a lot of ups and downs. Didn't really know what to expect. Didn't know about the franchise. But I did know that they were really good. And it turned out to be a love affair in terms of the city, the team, they embraced me 
I mean, so when I think about Pittsburgh, I think about coming home to a degree. So every time I come to Pittsburgh, it's a warm feeling because of the experience I had one, but also the fans and the people welcoming me and that warmth that I was able to receive. In 90s football was about running the football and the Pittsburgh style was running the football and playing great defense behind it. So as a result, I was a perfect fit. They love big backs. It, everything kind of came all at once. They were they had just lost to the Super Bowl, so they had a really talented football team. And then I was just kind of put in and allowed to do my thing. And like you said, it blew up. The nickname, the bus came, and and it I think it added more to everything. And then year after year, we had that type of success. So yeah, the my career went to kind of hyperspeed. When I came to Pittsburgh, it was a good career, but it became a great career after coming to Pittsburgh. You mentioned earlier that you got the nickname, the bus, when you came here. Tell our audience how... How that happened? Yeah. Well, the nickname actually started when I was at Notre Dame. And the student body, someone in the student body newspaper wrote an article and it said, it reminded them of a bus. And I, I don't remember kind of why he said, but there was a chant in the stadium, when I would run, they would say, nobody stops the bus. And the student section would just would be yelling at it. So it was a pretty cool thing. When I left and went to the Rams, they disappeared. And so when I got traded back to Pittsburgh, I came back and we were playing a preseason game in Green Bay. The coach that was at Wisconsin, linebacker's coach that was at Wisconsin, his name was Jay Hayes. He was the linebackers coach at Notre Dame when I was there. And he used to always say before Avery gave Bussy, how much you weigh in a day? And I'm like, oh, I weigh 225. I was 250 pounds t- t- uh, fullback. But I always kind of felt quick and, and light. And so I would always, we would joke. So when he s- so set to set the stage, I'm coming to play the Green Bay Packers preseason. He's at the University of Wisconsin now. He has a brother, Jonathan Hayes, who was a tight end for the Steelers. So he comes and brings his kids to see their uncle, right, his brother. And when he walks into the hotel, he sees me and he says, Bussy, what are you doing? And Mike Hillgrove and Myron Colt were right over there and heard him, Bill Hillgrove. And Bill Hill hears it and says, oh, his nickname is the bus, right? It's bus, whatever. So in the game... Myron Cope, with his distinctive voice, ah, he kind of looks like a boss, that boss. And then that was it. Took off. And it took off. And it was my first year in, in preseason is when that bus moniker kind of came and stuck. And obviously we wore black and, and yellow and it was school bus colors. Right. So it was a, it was an automatic fit. I read in your book where you talked about, and obviously we've talked about it before this, position, this principal position that you had taken that, hey, if I have to be here, I'm going to retire. One of my questions for you would have been, do you think you would have gone all the way with that and given up football at that point? And I guess hearing you today, you're saying, yes. Yes, because I wasn't in love with football yet. So the love affair was building, was growing. Only played six years. So it wasn't like I was like just football had been my life. I was a, a bowler. I bowled longer than, than I, you know, I had bowled for eight years at that point. I was one of the best at my age group in the country. So I, I was like, 
in love with bowling more than I was with football at that particular time. So it wasn't something I was going to say, you know what? I love it. I just, no, I didn't. I, I was growing into the love affair and going to Pittsburgh, coming to Pittsburgh actually kind of built and grew that love because then it became fun again, right? Going through what I went through and then coming back in, in it's a refreshing philosophy. We're going to run the ball. You're our guy. Everybody is going to get behind you and we're going to go as you go. That energized me and charged me. And that's when the love affair came to the point where I ain't slipped and, and drank football. It was all about football. Tell us about your childhood, how you grew up, some of the challenges of growing up in inner city Detroit. So it was it was a, a, a tough upbringing. I was fortunate enough. Mom and dad was there in the home supporting me. But like any inner city situation, it was tough. Drugs was prevalent. And so that was an aspect that you had to maneuver and manage through selling drugs, your friends selling drugs. That was just there. Right. And so you had to be careful not to get caught in, in that trap. And so that's that's why they call it the trap, because it's you can get caught very easily in that world because that's what you're seeing every single day when you walk out your front door. So you you have to be very careful. I was fortunate enough to have a high school football coach who cared enough to come to my house. I'll never forget. He came to the house. Who was that? Well, Coach Dozier, Bobby Dozier, Roger Dozier. He says, Miss Bettis, your son is good enough to go to college and he could possibly play in the NFL. He is that good. I know I've seen him. He had Pepper Johnson who played for the New York Giants. And so he was saying that to my mom and I'm a junior in high school, but he didn't want me to go down the wrong path. He saw me hanging with the wrong guys and doing some bad stuff and he wanted to kind of to shut it down. So he came to the house and I'll never forget it and told my mom that and him telling my mom that I'm looking, I'm listening and I'm thinking to myself, he believes in me that much for him to come here and tell my mom, listen, obviously I got in, I got in trouble and all that, but it was the fact that he was willing to do that, right? He saw, he said, no, I'm coming to the house. You can be special. And that's the first time. I kind of really thought that, okay, let me give this the try that it deserves. Because I, I was playing football, yeah. I said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to get committed to this. And then that's kind of when everything really took off because I was lock, stock, barrel into football. Because, and the only reason I played football, let me back up a little bit. The only reason I played football was I wanted to get a college scholarship. Because I have an older brother, older sister, and mom and dad was struggling to get them in school. So I knew it was no money for them. So I'm the last one. It's definitely not going to be any money for me, right? <laughs> if it's anything like school clothes shopping, right, right, I'll get nothing. <laughs> so I was like, I got to find a way to get to college. Right, right. And so that was the impetus for me to want to play football was just to get a college scholarship, right? And, and when he said all of that, I'm like, oh, man. It's possible, right? And that was the first moment. And the second moment when it all became crystal clear to me was 
my junior year, going into my senior year, and we went to the Reggie McKenzie football camp. Reggie McKenzie was a all-pro offensive lineman, played for the Buffalo Bills, blocked for O.J. Simpson in the electric factory. Electric company, right? And he was he was from Detroit area, Highland Park inside Detroit. And he gave this free football camp for all the kids. And Pepper Johnson was running it. Pepper was there. Chris Carter. I mean, he had all these pros. Keith Byers. They were all there, right? And I'm looking at it like these guys play in the NFL right now, right? And these are they all high level. Pep had just won the Super Bowl. I was like, man, this is for real. And Pep went to the same high school I went to. So I'm looking at it like, these guys from the same place I'm from, if they can do it, I can do it. They put their pants on just like I do. And that's when the light bulb hit me to say, man, it's possible. And if you see that it's possible, that you have a chance to achieve it. And that was my eyes seeing the possibility I never forget Pep. He had his Jaguar coming. I'm like, that's the fruits of his labor, right? So I'm like, okay, I'm watching. I'm watching. You got me. You got me convinced now. And Reggie McKenzie, I never forget. He was always saying, "Who's going to be the next one? Who's going to be the next one?" And I never, I walked right up to him and said, "Reggie, I, I'm going to be the next one." And he was like, "All right, kid. I mean it literally." You know what I'm saying? He gave me a look like, "All right, whatever, man. Get up back in line, right?" So. But I was it. I was hooked. And, and that was the second moment that really catapulted me to want to go out and give football a chance. You know what's so important about that shows the importance of role models. Okay. Mm-hmm. Real many kids today can't achieve it because they can't see it. They don't believe it's obtainable. Okay. Mm-hmm. And programs like the Reggie McKenzie Foundation right. have just give kids an opportunity to say, hey, that could be me. I could do that out there. So that's such an important. Yeah. And the one thing I get from that is, and that's why I started my foundation years ago. And it's not about a handout. It's about a hand up. And that's what they provided me. They provided me a hand up to say, come here, come with us. And to be able to be with those guys. And it was interesting because that week, half the week I was with Pepper at linebacker and half the week I was with Keith Byers. At fullback, so I was with both of these guys, and they're fighting over me. Hey, no, 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 he's a he's a linebacker. No, 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 he's a foot. And so it was just like they were helping to raise me, and I've never ever forgotten. I was just I just went down to Keith Byers' golf tournament a month ago. You know what I mean? And he called me in two days. I'm there, right? Because I appreciated what they did for me. They may not know. They may ah, oh, it was nothing. Here I was, a slot nose kid, and they are just taking me in working with me, believing in me, right? And I'm like, all right, I got it. And so I'll never forget that experience because that's what crafted me into wanting to be great, right? That's the beginning of that process where I saw these guys, right? I saw NFL greats and I'm saying to myself, I want to be that. I I, want to be that. So you go from inner city Detroit to Notre Dame, Culture shock. Yeah, yeah. South Bend, Indiana. Right. It's South Bend, Indiana. PWI, predominantly white institutions. Right, right. What were the challenges? Let me backtrack. My high school, McKenzie, McKenzie High School, had 4,000 kids. 3,998 was black kids. 
I think we had two Asian kids, right? That's it. 3,998 black kids, right? So I did not know how to interact with white white people outside of the people at the grocery store, the people, the people you interact with, your teachers at school. Outside of that, there was no back and forth, no socialization. So for me to go there now, I got a, a white roommate and, and it's like, oh my goodness, what? how to manage, negotiate this. And so he was a, a long distance runner, right? Buddy Stewart. And I was like, I was still rough around the edges. I was not polished by any means. My freshman year, I was too. They don't leather jacket, gold chain, that kind of thing. So I'm at school and he's a long distance runner. And we in this small little room together, right? Got lofts where we got, we build these things, lofts where the beds are up and our, our desks and stuff are underneath the bed. But it's, I mean, literally about this much room for me and that much room for him, right? And I'll never forget, he used to he used to run and he would come back from run and he would put his underwear on a nail, right? On the thing, right? Dry out, right? And I'm like, what is that? How nasty is that, right? I'm thinking to myself. And so I thought one time, okay, right. I mean, it, be, it became like, he don't, and I'm thinking to myself, do I say something to him? But if I say something to him and he says the wrong thing, I'm going to smash him. I'm thinking, because he's a little, he was a little guy, yeah. right? And I'm thinking, I'm going to hurt this kid. I'm going to get kicked out of school. That's all I kept thinking. He going to say something stupid, right? I'm going to slap him or smack him or something, right? I'm going to get kicked out. Right? And so I was like scared. Like he kept doing it every day. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me, man. Right? That is the nastiest thing in the world. Well, my mom and dad was coming up for a game. And so I knew I gotta have this conversation with because yeah, I, I can't have my mom and dad come in the room and he got his drawers and stuff hanging out. I said, listen, we gotta figure something out. We gotta live in here together. We gotta respect each other. Our boundaries, I said, the underwear, they gotta go, man. That, that's, that just doesn't work for me. He's like, oh, no problem. No, no problem. And I was just so relieved because I was like, oh my gosh. I'm going to get kicked out of school. That's all I kept thinking. I, well, I don't want to go back. And I kept telling myself, I'm not going back. I'm not going back. I'm not going back. And so that was really what pushed me to change and become more polished and to speak and not use intimidation and uh, that kind of thing. And so that was that first moment. How do you respond? But, you know, it was a culture shock to go from inner city Detroit and go to a college campus that was predominantly white and had very few African-Americans, it was a challenge. Now, you had some challenges on the football field while you were at Notre Dame. There was a occasion where Coach Holtz decides that uh, you guys have a potential for a good team with the upcoming scene. He calls out a certain player during practice. Tell us about that. It's my, going into my sophomore year, we're in the preseason. We're getting ready to start, and... We go to practice, and right before the week before the lo- the publication that follows Notre Dame, it's called Irish Illustrated or whatever. They put me on the cover of the magazine, right? So they spritzed me up and got me look at me, right, with the blacks by under my eye black, and so it's like a tough, menacing picture. And I'll never forget. It said the Sultan of Six because I wore number six. It said the Sultan of Six. And so it was, I was, I never, I was like, oh, I made it, baby. All right, I'm on the cover. I'm like trying to find every, I'm going to all the different 
building, stealing all the books and, and <laughs> sending all my all my people, right? So we go to practice and coach says he comes up, we got a guy, he's gonna cost us a national championship. We're gonna lose. He thinks he's the best thing since sliced bread. And I'm like, who is that? Who's gonna cost me a national championship on my year? Right, right. I don't know what? He was like, Drum Betters, would you stand up? And I was like, and he was like, but this is your football team. You deal with them. And I'm like, what, what does that mean? You deal with them. And so I had the most difficult practice I've ever had in my career. I mean, everybody was taking shots at me. The walk-ons, everybody, everybody was giving me a, a licks, right? But and then after the practice was over, I'm walking back and I, I'm like a you know leper and nobody's around me. I'm walking by myself, right? And he pulls up on his, his golf cart. He says, how was practice? And I'm like, what? He says, I was just trying to motivate you, right? And I was like, what? But what he did was, through that public embarrassment, when I practiced that day, because everybody was taking shots, I was 100 miles an hour, full speed, every every play. And that from that moment, my work ethic, it changed. And I became a different football player after that day because I took that and, and that's what I decided to do every single practice. So I raised my level a, a up every day. And in turn, it raised everybody else's level up. And so it was just uh, that commitment that I had. And I took that and brought that same work ethic into the NFL. And so all these small little things helped build the character and develop the philosophies that I then took forward. And so I used to run 40 yards down the field every play when I got to the NFL, right? They thought I was crazy. But my thing was, I'm training myself to do this in the game. So how do you train yourself to do it? You got to do it in practice, right? And so, and nobody else would do it. But then after I started doing relentlessly, next thing you know, you see other guys, other running backs, then you see other wide receivers, then you see the defensive guys running. And now next thing it's contagious, everybody's doing it. And then it raised the level of our team. And so that moment was central to who I became as a football player. So I got a lot of love and a lot of respect for Coach Holtz for that. The embarrassment, it paid off. So our goal and our core exploration on this journey that we want to go through is what makes the great and what are the pitfalls? So you talked about some of your physical challenges. You just talked about what you had to learn how to do as a running back. But you also were drafted to the Los Angeles Rams. You're into the league. Lots of temptation in, uh -huh. in the city of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we see with athletes today is that they'll have the physical skills, but sometimes they're not equipped with what's necessary to navigate with what comes with being a professional athlete yeah. in these major city, okay, becoming celebrities or quasi-celebrities. How did you navigate that in Los Angeles your first couple of years? So a great story. When I was going to Notre Dame, I'll never forget my dad, He when they were dropping me off and they were leaving, he kind of pulled me to the side. He says, son, I don't have much to give you, but I got a good name. He said, don't screw it up, right? And so that resonated with me so much because when I was at Notre Dame, I was always scared. Don't screw up. Can't go back. Don't mess up, right? This is your opportunity. Don't blow it, right? So when I got to the NFL, it kind of grew. 
it was like even more, don't do nothing stupid. Don't mess it up. Don't mess up. Your, don't make your mom and dad feel the pain of you doing something stupid, right? And being disrespecting his name, right? So that was always in the back of my mind. So I'm always thinking, we're not doing that. We're we going to do that, right? We're not going to do that. <laughs> and so I, I had that moral compass because of what my dad told me when I was going to ordain. And so that created that kind of fear of making that mistake or doing that thing that was just stupid. You knew better, right? So, but of course, I mean, I was young. I still made a ton of mistakes, but I knew what type of mistake not to make, right? And so that was because my dad, he made a profound impact on me when I was left, went to Notre Dame, and it's always in the back of my head. And to this day, it's in the back of my head. Don't do nothing stupid. Don't do nothing stupid. Well, it, it, in the interest of time, I've got a few rapid fires on yep, you. Yep, okay. yep. Uh, best player you ever played against? Reggie White. Hardest hit you ever took? From my mother. <laughs> Ooh. You've had so many significant achievements, okay? You won a Super Bowl, and you're in the NFL Hall of Fame. If you had to take one off the table and take one over the other, what would the Super Bowl. What advice? You got a son right now that's a pretty good football player. What advice do you give him in terms of trying to become great? I tell him that you got to love it. You got to love it first. Because if you're not in love with it, you'll never be great. Thank you for joining us with Joe F's, the Hall of Famers. That was a great conversation that we had with the bus tonight. Forward to seeing you in our next episode. That's a wrap for today's deep dive into the sports world. Next time, we'll be back with even more stories of triumph, irresistible debates, and, as always, a high-level look into the lives of eternal legends. Give Hall of Famers a like and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Want to keep the convo going? Join in the debates and stay in the know with all things Hall of Famers on social media for exclusive behind-the-scenes content and a chance to link up with fellow sports buffs and our crew. Until next time, keep reaching for the stars.